Well, good morning and welcome to Docs the Church. <laughs> we're looking, we're looking at the uh, six seals and we're just walking through them. The first one is a rider on the white horse. You're going to usher in the system that the Antichrist will come to power on. And the second, probably uh, a guesstimate. Bible doesn't say in this particular case. We guess, surmise, just to keep numbers even and the math easy. Perhaps a billion between the church getting raptured and all the people dying. Now, remember, if this is 12 years from now, there'll be 9.6 billion people. So don't hold the numbers tight. We're just kind of give us a way to, to think through that. When we come to the third seal, remember that there's going to be famine. There's a rider on a black horse who had a pair of scales on it. And this particular famine is going to target the lower echelon of the population. It's going to, it's going to, um, the, the wealthy will survive because they have the wine and the oil and those who have and depend on the basic necessities are not going to be able to afford them because the, the price is going to be unbelievably um, high for even things like wheat and barley and the natural basics of life. And you can imagine how that adds to um, uh, the difficulties of the day. And then we finally looked at the fourth seal. And when the Lamb broke the fourth seal, the living creature said, Come, there was an ashen horse, and who, who's he who sat on it uh, had the name Death, and Hades was following him. So on this particular one, they were going out, and look at what it says. And authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to do what? To kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beast of the earth. And so we had seven billion. Some are gone. Some are slayed in the in the second seal. Now in this one, that would get us down to six billion if we were using today's numbers. A fourth. Mark told us last week, one point five billion uh, there. So now you have roughly forty percent of the population already removed. Death comes in. Given there, Hades is the place of the dead. It's the place holding the dead uh, that went on there and. Of course, we have the wild beast involved now because there would be so much carnage and so many things happening and going on that it would be impossible, even with mass graves, to get the number of people that's killed during this time. And remember, all of these take place in a relatively short period of time, even before we get to the midpoint of the tribulation. So you're talking three three, four years at most that all of these things happen and unfold in that time frame. And now we come to the fifth seal and I want you to see how different the fifth seal is. I want you to see how different it is. And let's, let's read the passage together and then we'll come back and, 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 and break it down. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, notice in the other ones it said, um, I, I looked and behold a horse. You're not, you, there's no I looked and behold, there are no more horses. Okay? No more horses. So we already are starting to say, okay, there's a change that's taking place here. Even within the sealed judgments, this one is different than the first four. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal... 
nothing happened outwardly, but John's attention was turned to the altar. He said, I saw not on the altar, but underneath the altar, the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Now let's pause right there and let's look at a couple of things in this, these particular verses. The lamb breaks the seal and now we have this altar and these souls. So these souls under the altar are those who had entered into the tribulation period as lost people. And having entered into the tribulation, lost people, because remember, all the saved people are gone during the tribulation, whether they read Bibles, whether they listened to sermons that were left behind, whether they read uh, gospel tracts, or whether truths that they had known previously begin to come together and click for them. Whatever means God used, these soul, these um, lost people who entered into the tribulation, these sinners, if you will, became saints. And when they became saints, listen, they, they did not live in a world where there is a restrainer like you and I live. They became saints in the midst of a hostile world, in the midst of the tribulation, and God's wrath being poured out upon them. And they lost their life for the cause of Christ in the midst of the tribulation. Now, remember, Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, talking about the church, said that God, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing. What hour of testing? That hour which is about to come upon the whole world and to test those who dwell on the earth. So we as Christians, we don't, we're not involved in that testing, but those who were saved in the tribulation, that promise does not belong to them. Yes, they are full Christians. Yes, they are brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. Yes, they are going to experience heaven throughout all of eternity with us, just like us. But their experience is different because you and I are protected by the restrainer who restrains evil right now. And in that day, not only do we already see human depravity and all the evil that they can do, and not only will we see the devil and demons and all the things that they're adding to it, but the wrath of God is poured out as well. These believers and new believers in Christ don't have a chance. And at some point in time, in some way, their life is taken from them for this reason. Because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they maintained. Now, now, if you think it's difficult for you to stand up and live for Christ in a restrained world, right? We have we 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 have the restrainer holding back evil. We have the promise of God, right? That I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. If you have a 
difficulty standing up for Christ now in a restrained world, think about the courage that it would take those in this world to stand up for Christ, knowing that their life would be snuffed out, knowing that it would come to a violent end, knowing that they would experience martyrdom, and there, that is exactly what happened. Now, I also want to think about one other aspect. Go with me, if you would, back to Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, look in verse 9. John writes, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in in the tribulation not the great tribulation, but in suffering for the cause of Christ and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos. Look at this. Because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. You see the similarities, right? Similarities, the Word of God and the testimony is what gets people in trouble. And by the way, that's what will get you in trouble today. You can talk about spirituality all you want to. You can talk about the idea of God all you want to. You can talk about a supreme being. You can talk about a spiritual power. You can talk about all those things. But when you narrow it down and define by the Word of God and testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's where you and I become offensive in our uh, witnessing and in our communications and conversations. But we still do it. And thankfully, we get to do it in a, in a restrained world. So here's John. And John is in this vision. And John is seeing these, these, these saints. But now, notice there's another difference between John, who would represent the church in heaven at this time, and these who are under the altar. Notice what it says about these. It says, I saw underneath the altar the... Souls. These who are there under the altar who were saved out of the tribulation period, they have not yet received their resurrected body. All that's there for them at this point in time is their soul. They are awaiting the connectedness, the coming together and receiving their resurrected glorified body. Now, not so with the church. When the church gets raptured up, right, the dead of Christ will rise first and we who are alive remain will be caught up to meet Him in the air and so we will be with the Lord together and that's when we will get our resurrected glorified bodies. So in heaven we have God, we have the Trinity. In heaven we have the living creatures. In heaven we have the, the church saints, if you will. Those who were saved through the church age who have already received their glorified bodies and now coming into heaven on an almost daily, regular basis are these souls who have not yet received their glorified uh, bodies. Now, now, how do we know uh, that they haven't received their glorified bodies? Well, Revelation chapter 20 verse 4 tells us, look at this, Then I saw thrones, and, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony and because of the Word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life 
So the soul was joined with the body, came to life, and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So they're going to get their resurrected, glorified bodies. They just haven't received that by the time we come to Revelation chapter 6. Now, you and I, so we know the answer to the question that they're getting ready to ask. They're there under the altar, and they really, we would say, would have two questions. When are we going to get our resurrected body? And then this question, look at what it says. And these souls, and I'm back in Revelation chapter 6, and they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, now look at this, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, are you seeing the differences between these these seals? You see in the difference, what we're thinking about in the first four seals is we're thinking about the wrath of God being poured out, the system being set up for the Antichrist coming, all those things to happen to lost people, those who are opposed to Christ, those who are for the Antichrist. And in the fifth seal, the the judgment is poured out on the good guys, if you will. Right? This judgment is poured out on the believers, those who have risked it all for the cause of Christ, and they've and, 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 and they've paid the ultimate sacrifice through this in the fifth seal judgment. These who stood up for righteousness, these who stood up for the cause of Christ, these who maintained their testimony in an unrestrained world, the fifth seal wipes out not all of them, because we know when we get to Revelation 19 and 20, that God has already determined that there will be saved and unsaved people on the earth when the Lord returns. Right? Remember Matthew chapter 25? Right? The wheat and the tares and all of those things that, that happened there in Matthew 25. So what we're talking about here is, is, is we're talking about not all of the tribulation saints are saved. We've got a lot more activity for those there. But some number, some portion of those have indeed given their life. And they want to know this question. Lord, how long will it be Till you avenge our blood. I, th- I think that's an interesting question. Now, there are a couple of ways that you could take it, right? Uh, some would say, well, this is an imprecatory, it's like an imprecatory psalm. God, right, you know what imprecatory? Imprecatory psalms are calling the wrath of God, calling judgment on people. We see that throughout the psalms. Um, uh, you know, some people would be like, this would be like calling down fire from heaven, if you will, to consume them. Hey, Lord, how long till you avenge them? Now, now it's interesting that, that they don't have any way, and there's no talk at all about, boy, if you could just, just let me back down there, you let me go get them, I would take out vengeance myself. No, no, no. What does the Bible say? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Now, let me side note here just briefly. There are a lot of Christians who live with such bitterness and brokenness that every time someone does a little something offensive to them, boy, they want to take, they want to exact vengeance on them right now. 
Listen to me. You are free to exact vengeance if you want to. But you cannot do it the way God can do it because you can't do it to the depths that God can do it. And the fact of the matter is, if you get revenge on someone else for something they have done to you, it's truthfully, don't get offended, but it's the truth, it is one sinner exacting vengeance on another sinner. What we want to do is, is we want to entrust those people to God, right? Hey God, I'm just listen. I'm I'm free. I'm I have forgiven them. God, I'm moving on from this. I'm not going to be caught up in this. I'm not going to let this continue to hang over me. God, you do this. You take care of this, and we can expect God will do His thing in His time. And how do we know that He will do that? Because. The Bible tells me so. Look with me, if you will, in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. There's a parable. I'll put it here on the screen. The Bible says, Now He was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. So he's the un. Un, uh, judge, he he had no, didn't fear God, didn't respect man, and notice what it says. Jesus says there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, "Give me legal protection from my opponent." For while he was un, for a while, the judge, the unjust judge, was unwilling. And the widow kept coming. That's what it says. She kept coming. I mean, just nag and nag and nag. Right? Uh, there. On and on. Kept asking, kept asking. But afterward, and that's in the language, afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God, nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me. Now we're pulling for the widow here, okay? Just if you want to know what side you're on. We're pulling for the widow to get the protection that she needs. We're not pulling for the unjust judge to, to, right, to flip or thump her out of, out of life, right? We're pulling for the widow here. And notice what he says, even though I don't fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. It reminds me of my kids, but I don't have time to go there right now. Daddy, can I do this? Daddy, can I do this? Daddy, can I do this? Oh, no, anyway. Otherwise, by continually coming, look at this. Y'all can relate. She will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice? And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now He applies the principle. Will not God bring justice for His elect who cry to Him day and night? And will He delay long over them? I tell you that He will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? These saints 
who are the souls under the altar whose lives have been snuffed out for the sake of the gospel based on the authority of God's word here and the number of places throughout the Bible that God says that he's going to take care of it and he's going to deal with it. Trust me, he says. Trust me, he says. These are righteously in heaven. You can't sin in heaven. Asking the question, Lord, how long, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood? Now look at this phrase. We've seen this phrase before. On those who dwell on the earth. Who dwell on the earth. That is a standard phrase for unbelievers who are alive in the tribulation. We saw that in Revelation 3.10. We see it here in Revelation chapter 6. We're going to see it in other places coming up as well. That is a phrase that means those who dwell upon the earth who are not believers in Christ. Who are not believers in Christ. Now look at, the, look at, look at this. And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer. Now look at this. You want to talk about a sovereignty of God passage. Until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. God knows exactly the number of souls that are under that altar and He had already prepared white robes to give them. And God already knows those who are still alive upon the earth during this particular time who are still going to lose their life in the tribulation and come. And when all those the Lord knows, all those the Lord deems, all those the Lord has numbered, when their life is violently taken from them, because I promise you, they're not going to be put to sleep. They're not going to be humanely, you know, in any way. It, it, it All indications is that it is the most violent, horrid experience you could possibly imagine. And when all those the Lord has already numbered their lives to be snuffed out and complete, and they join them there in heaven, then that's when the Lord is going to exact vengeance and also give them their glorified bodies and unite and join with the rest of the population in heaven. Remember, we're in Revelation chapter 6. You and I, we have the end of the book. So, so we know exactly when this is going to take place. In fact, we're going to read it here in, in just a minute. But before we do that, I want you to be in the place of that soul who has been treated unjustly, who has been treated unfairly, and you've prayed to God about it, and He says, nothing because He's silent, 
or impresses upon your heart, wait and trust me. Anybody here besides me get extremely uh, frustrated at times waiting on God? Anybody here like to, other than me, like to help God along a little bit? Help Him know what He ought to do, how He ought to do it, right? And it, now, I don't know about you, but I kind of pose it in questions to God, right? Uh, particularly when I'm you know, working through this process, I'll say, God, wouldn't it be great if you... And then give God advice. <laughs> right? God, I just think that you would be the coolest God ever if you did it this way. Can, can I remind all of us that God does not receive counsel from another? God does what God does the way God wants to do it. And I can share testimony after testimony of times in my life and times in my ministry where I stood for truth and I stood on the Word of God and I felt like God should have come in and delivered or rescued or redeemed or blessed the effort or done something different than God actually did. But folks, it's not about me. And it's not about my plans. It's not about my purpose. And quite frankly, it's not about my perspective. These here did not ultimately get the answer to their question. You know what they got? The question they got is, is there are many, many others who are going to experience violent, hard things happening to them who are going to join you before we do anything. But until then, and God's not appeasing them. God is not trying to, you know, throw a bone at a dog. Listen, He he gives them these white robes and He's told them, basically, you can trust Me. Rest a little while longer. God says, I've got this. I know what I'm doing. You, You know what sometimes the best thing for you and I to do is in those situations? is to voice our concern to God and then rest in Him and trust Him. Now I know, I know, I know, y'all fought. We're in the tribulation now. It has nothing to do with Christians today. I don't even know why we need to even study it. There's no practical application for us, right? And what are we finding out? Oh, there's tremendous application even in studying the tribulation. You see, you and I, we have the Bible, so we know exactly when these things are going to uh, happen. For example, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 18. Now, this is pertaining to Babylon, and we haven't even got to Babylon and the false prophet and all of those things, but I want you to see this, and I want you to see it in context, because this is the answer to the prayer in chapter 6. Here, here's what the Lord says. Pay her back even as she has paid and give back to her double according to her deeds in the cup which she has mixed. Mix twice as much for her. Now, now if you just read this, 
And you know, it's kind of interesting because you, y'all know when you open up Facebook or you look there, people put these little verses up there and you read those verses like, oh, that's a cool, that's a promise to claim. You might look at this and go, pay her back even if she paid. Look, when she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her. Oh yeah, listen, that's karma. Do good and more will come back to you. The blessings of God. Listen, this is in the context of God's just wrath being poured out. And what he's saying is, is they snuffed out the saints. They did this. God knows it's in the plan and purposes of God. Right? But they will get theirs. And not only will they get theirs in equal measure or proportion, but mixed twice as much for... Again, this is related to Babylon, but it shows you what God thinks and what God will ultimately do uh, here. Look in verse 7. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same de- to the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, "I sit as a queen, and I'm not a win- widow, and will never see mourning." For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come pestilence and mourning and famine and she'll be burned up with fire for the Lord God who judges her is strong. Folks, I don't care what situation, how mistreated, treated unjustly, unfairly, or whatever it is that you go through as a Christian in a restrained world, You can trust God and God is going to do what God is going to do. Back to Revelation chapter 6. And I want to just close with a couple of thoughts. Points of application, uh, if you will. I'm going to give you three of them briefly. Number one, how difficult is it for you to right, uh, to be vocal about the Word of God and the testimony that God has given you. If I see anything, and if we can learn anything as Christians today in a restrained world from these who were Christians in an unrestrained world, I would say that we need to suck it up and we need to become bold and courageous and unashamed. The Apostle Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jews first and later to the Greeks. He says, I am not ashamed. You know what? It's easy to not be ashamed of the Gospel in here. It's easy to speak truth and to say the right things in here. It's easy to believe in your whole heart the truths of the Christian life, believe the gospel, testify, witness, and do those things in here, even if we get a little nervous standing in front of people. But, beloved, what about out there? You might get fired from your job. You might lose some friends. You might have some people think that you're weird. 
But all in all, in the world we live today, it might change tomorrow, but the world we live today, you are not going to lose your life ruthlessly for the cause of Christ and the Gospel. It does happen. There are more martyrs today than there's ever been in any other century. But for the most part, we live in God-blessed America and we have freedom of speech and we have the opportunity to share Christ and do all that stuff. First point of application is, no matter what it costs you, stand up for the Word of God and share the testimony of Christ. Second point of application is that no matter what you're going through, you can trust God to deal with it in the end. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your situation is, and it usually gets darkest before the light shines through. If you are going through some things right now, and it is getting very heavy, and it is getting very dark, and it is, and it feels as though there are no answers, and God is not doing His thing, and it feels as though Satan and his forces are wreaking havoc and doing all of the things that they're doing. Listen, you hold tight. You remain steadfast because God loves you. He has you. You are His child, and He cares for you, and He will see you through even if it kills you. Because if it kills you, where do you go? To heaven to be with Him. And may I simply say this, listen, I would much, much rather the Lord Jesus Christ come back and get raptured up than to go through death. And if He does, we're gone in an instant. There's not going to be any introductory music. There's not going to be any drum rolls. I mean, right in the twinkling of an eye, we're gone. We're gone. But if God chooses not to do that, then you and I will go through death and all that death has to do to carry us through that tunnel into the presence of God. And listen, it will not be easy. It wasn't easy for them. It will not feel good. It didn't feel good for them. But beloved, we can trust God to carry us all the way through and trust Him. Trust Him now in the land of the living. Trust Him through the process of dying. And you'll trust Him on the other side as you are with Him forever. And finally, and this is kind of the thing that I've thought about. It's kind of captured my attention uh, this entire week. And that is the perspective. The perspective of what we see. You know, there are two perspectives in life. And two perspectives, really, that, that, that we could see here in this particular passage. Violence, wrath, tribulation is being poured out on earth and people, well, people are getting killed. And as those people are dying, and as those tribulation saints are gathering together, if they have the Bible and are studying God's Word, you know what they're saying? According to this, beloved, there's still more. There's still more of us that are going to die. There's still more of us that are going to have to do that. And we have to remain steady. We have to remain strong. Listen, 
there's still more. And there in that position of fear and in that position of anxiety about what they're about to enter and the life that they're living and what it's going to require for some of them to pass through, the motto might be, there's still more. Guard yourself. Watch yourself. Live for the Word of God and His testimony. But there's still more. And you think about on this side, the act, the process of losing a loved one, watching your mother and father there, right? Dead in the coffin, burying children and everything else that goes on there, weeping as we do on this side of heaven, knowing that there's still more. But may I remind you, from, from heaven's perspective, right? The church is caught up. The church is there. And the people and their families and their co-workers and their friends that rejected Christ, that would not believe the Gospel, that would not hear it, that took that book you gave them, that Bible you gave them, and laughed in your face and tossed it aside and said, I'm not going to read that. I'm not interested in all those things. And you're there in heaven. Listen, and you know that while you're there in heaven, one of the things that keeps happening is there's another one that just made it to heaven. He was killed on earth. On earth they're saying, there's still more to come. And the violence is there, but in heaven the Christians are rejoicing, saying, There's still more because there's another one who made it. There's still more. There's another one who's made it. And they're there. And I don't have a clue if God would say and give you the promise that, that your co worker is going to make it. It's just a matter of time. Hold on, your co worker. I don't think he's going to give you the, tell you the future and do all those things. By the way, you want to know that you're not going to have all the answers. They had to ask questions in heaven. They didn't have the answers when the evangelist was coming. Different application point. But think with me just a minute. In heaven, what are they doing every time? Don't feel sorry for them on the earth. Don't feel sorry for them whose life gets snuffed out. Why? Because the Christians are in heaven doing what? Rejoicing in this reunion that just happened. What are the Christians doing? They're rejoicing that another one has made it. Another one has come through. We know another one is here with us. Why? Because our loved ones, our family, your friends, neighbors, people we grew up with, people we lost contact with through the years that did not receive the Gospel, who did not get raptured up with us in heaven, they heard the Gospel, they received the Gospel, they were killed for the Gospel, and they make their way into heaven. And though on this earth they are grieving and mourning and going through hell on earth in heaven. They're rejoicing that another lost one has made it home. You want to feel sorry for somebody? Yes, it's hard. And yes, it's tears. And God's going to wipe away every tear. You want to feel sorry for somebody... Don't feel sorry for yourself. If you're saved, you're going to heaven. Get over yourself. I get so tired of it. All these pity parties that we go through here. Right? How bad is it going to get? 
you got heaven for all of eternity. Get over it. And don't have pity for those who enter into the tribulation who get saved. And though they don't escape the wrath of God, though they get killed violently and make it home, ultimately all of them will. Don't feel sorry for them either. You know who you should feel sorry for? All of those who remain in the lost condition on this earth who never receive the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ who never experienced the grace of God and mercy God through His salvation, who will never ever make it there except to be judged, condemned, separated from God, and bearing His wrath forever in the fires of hell, separated from God for all of eternity. Beloved, that's who you should pity. And my prayer is, and as we look at these and we think about our plight and we think about the plight of those that beloved we would do everything in our power to get the gospel now in a restrained world to lost people everywhere that they may hear the good news of the gospel and they may repent of their sins and be saved and join in with the angels in heaven rejoicing over another lost sinner that repents of their sins and believes the gospel. May God, in His grace, give us a burden for the lost. May God in His mercy remove obstacles in our lives from the Gospel. And may we from our privileged position of living in a restrained world with the Gospel be actively sharing and loving people and serving people and getting the Gospel to people anywhere we go and any way we know how. And may God use us here in this room to see many, many, many souls saved, lives changed, and the kingdom of God advance. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, I pray that You would awaken within us, Lord, the desire. I pray, God, that You would awaken within us a strength that we didn't know that we had. I pray, Father, that You would stir up in us the courage, Lord, to go and to live on mission for Your glory. Father, I pray that people in this room will write books perhaps about the Gospel that will be left behind for lost people. I pray, Lord, that people in this room would take notes and they would capture the spiritual things that God's doing in their lives and leave those behind for lost people. I pray that we would take the truths in any way that we can through the internet and through Facebook and through all of these things. May there be a trail of things left behind us that point people to Christ in the Gospel. That Father, if they reject our giving of the Gospel verbally and face to face, may they in some way 
perhaps near future, that you return and call us home as we're sorting through our things and as we're sorting through the gifts of the gospel that we have left behind for them. May you use those things to connect the dots for them to see their brokenness, their need for a Savior, and God lead them to repent and believe the gospel and be sent forth on mission even during the tribulation period, even if it means their life. God, we look forward to You coming again. And our prayer is, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand.